0: You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? Hey, we are so glad that you are here. I'm posing for a picture, if you can just give me a second. Thank you. So, I don't know if you know that. That happens every time. Uh, because people post stuff online and whatever. And so they're like, well, can you just, we're we're gonna be standing over here. So wherever they're standing, I just walk over and be like, how's everybody doing? (laughs) So that's how that works. And, uh, but hey, I'm so glad to be with you. Didn't John do a great job? Uh, Did such a great job. And uh, I had dinner with him on Tuesday night. And then he came over here. We were over by him uh, this past week. And um, it was great to walk into places without wearing a mask. (laughs) That was something. And uh, I felt like I was doing something wrong. And um, so anyway, uh, but I had a scooter when I was in the ninth grade. Uh, I got it because, uh, well, my mom told me I had to get it because I had to pick my younger sister up from elementary school. And so now it was called a jog. That was the name of it, the brand, jog. Because if you were jogging, you would just blow right past me. And this is not like the fastest motor vehicle on the road. And uh, now I was on the football team at my school. And so we had practice. Practice got cut short because it had started raining and lightning. So we were told to go home. So I hop on my scooter and I'm driving home in the rain. The, the thing is, is that um, I, I'm all sweaty from practice. I put the helmet on. And then the helmet starts fogging up. And so, you know, I, th- these things don't come with windshield wipers. So I'm driving and I'm, I'm going, you know, eh, eh, eh. I'm trying to mimic the windshield wiper so that I can see what in the world I'm doing. And so it's, it's really raining. The people in front of me, they were driving this really big Buick. Uh, now I know that because they slammed on the brakes and I rammed into that Buick. That's how I know. And uh, I, hit, I, I went over... The, the bars of the scooter. And I hit my head on their trunk. And as I fell back, because they kept, they stopped, then hit, I hit them and then we just kept driving. And so uh, now they didn't realize that I had hit them. This is once again, the power of the jog. And so I was falling as my bike, my, my, my scooter was falling the rubber from the handles, um, hit their metal, if you remember, imagine this. Remember back when uh, bumpers, like fenders, were made of metal? This is what I hit, all right? So it, the metal caught onto the rubber. And they started dragging me down Riverside Drive in Coral Springs, which is where my high school was. And they didn't realize it. And so I, st- I like, used whatever upper body strength I had and kind of picked myself up and started slamming on the back of the, uh, slamming on the hood uh, trying to get their attention. Finally, they stop and this really nice older couple get out of the car and, and they were so concerned. They didn't even care that they were getting all wet. They were so concerned about me and uh, my my scooter was all smashed. They didn't even have like a dent on on their their car, which that, uh, but they were so worried about me because they were getting soaked. I'm soaked. They see if I need, the, do you need help? And I'm like, no, no, I'm okay. And and so, believe it or not, the jog started. Neither The jog was more of like a limp uh, after that day. The thing would only go like 15 miles an hour. And uh, I actually, a couple months later, I sold it to this kid I went to school with. A week after I sold it to him, I saw the kid walking to school. I don't think the jog lasted that much longer after the sale. So, anyway, sorry, no take backs. So, now, I, the thing that I think about, right, is... I don't know what would have happened to me if I wasn't wearing a helmet. And that that helmet cracked uh, the the, the front shield. It literally cracked in two upon impact of their trunk. And once again, the helmet cracked so that my head didn't have to. And and I, I bring this up because as we've been studying about the armor of God, we've been doing this whole series called Suit Up, talking about the armor of God, this famous section of verses at the end of the book of Ephesians. Now, if you have been with us or you haven't been with us, if you have been, I've been saying this part every week, so you should probably have this memorized by now. And if you haven't done the thing I say to do, you, should get, you really gotta do it because next week is the end. So uh, the Apostle Paul had been arrested. He had had a couple of trials in an area called Caesarea. He uh, wasn't getting justice in the court system. And as a Roman citizen, you had this option that if you felt you weren't getting justice, you could say, I appeal to Caesar. And as amazing as that sounds, Uh, you you had that right as a citizen. And so they would say, you've appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you'll go. And so if you want to read the story, it's in the book of Acts chapters 21 through 28, where Paul is arrested in chapter 21, goes through the trials. In chapter 27, they put him on the boat. They send him to Rome. There's a shipwreck. It's all a bunch of exciting stuff. And then he find, at the end of the book of Acts, chapter 28, he gets to Rome and he's found, he finds himself on house arrest because if every person who's a Roman citizen has the opportunity to appeal their case to the emperor, pretty much everybody's going to appeal their case to the emperor. So there's a two-year waiting list to get to the Caesar and, and plead your case. And so what happens is as Paul finds himself on house arrest, he finds himself chained to a Roman guard. And during those two years, he pens some of, these mo- some of the most important letters that we find in the New Testament. Uh, the book of Ephesians that we're going to look at tonight, a book called Colossians, a personal letter called Philemon, and another letter called Philippians. And so... As Paul is chained to this Roman guard, it serves in a way as the inspiration that Paul has as he looks at this armor that this soldier is wearing, and he's like, you know, it's kind of like what Christians should be wearing. And so the first week, we looked at what was called the belt of truth, that the belt, and we said this the first week, that a belt isn't really a piece of armor. A belt is something that holds everything else together. And the belt of truth, that's what it does. It holds us together even when the world is falling apart. The, base, the truth is the basis of everything we do. We walk in truth. We put on truth. The second piece of armor was the breastplate of righteousness. That the breastplate would cover your heart, which represents the will. The, your, your decisions. The breastplate would cover your gut which the ancients said that the gut was the seat of emotions. And sometimes we all know this, right? That our emotions will work against us if we aren't careful. The third piece of armor is having your feet fitted with the gospel, with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That soldiers in those days wore shoes that had cleats at the bottom so they could stand firm and keep taking ground while their feet were protected. And then there's a shift that takes place because the first three... And, and you miss it if you're not reading carefully. The first three are the things that Paul says we need to have. These aren't things that we put on and take off. These are things that we need to keep on at all times. The last three pieces of armor are things that he says that we need to take up. Like a baseball player, he keeps the uniform on at all times, but he grabs a bat or a glove as the situation requires. And then, so that takes us to the fourth piece of armor, which is the shield of faith that this, you take up the shield of faith, that this isn't um, faith like, you know, the faith, like the, the, the sum of Christian beliefs. But instead, the faith is a type of faith that moves mountains. The, the, it presupposes that you're in battle, that you're trying to take ground for the kingdom and do what God's called you to do. It's available to us. The fifth one that Paul calls us to grab hold of is uh, what we're going to look at tonight. So I want to start, we've been doing this every week. We've been starting from verse 10 to kind of get a running start as to which piece of armor we're going to look at. So we're going to start in verse 10 of Ephesians 6, and here's what we read. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or schemings of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of wickedness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet or fitted your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace above all taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked one. And then verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, the helmet of salvation, Roman soldiers would have a helmet that was made either of this thick leather that was covered with metal plates. Others had uh, helmets that were bronze or of a beaten metal. And then they would have, it would come down and they would have these uh, pieces, these kind of what they're called cheek pieces to uh, protect uh, the, the side of their face and, and their ears. And, and what, so why does he say take up the helmet of salvation? Because it, it, it can be confusing because the reality is at times when we talk about salvation, coming to know Jesus as our savior, we think about it as something that was in the past. But how do we take it up in the present? And that's where I want to spend some time talking about tonight, because there's three things in particular, I believe, that the helmet of salvation not only teach us, but make available to us and show us that, listen, salvation isn't just part of our past. It's part of our present and part of our future. So if you're a note taker, you take your notes out. Um, Here's the first one. And that is that my understanding of salvation changes my view of everything. My understanding of salvation changes my view of everything. This is how we tend to view salvation. We look at a fixed moment in time. That, that is the, a moment in the past when we became Christians. In, in, in church circles, you'll hear, you'll hear this, or people talk about, uh, about being saved right? The act of salvation. This is the moment that Jesus saved me. And it's referring to this moment in the past when they came to know Jesus. If you've been around Calvary for a while, then you know my story. It was on May 29th of 1993. I was in my brother's kitchen in Boston, Massachusetts, and my girlfriend at the time and I gave our lives to Jesus. That girlfriend, by the way, has now become my wife of almost 24 years. Um, So anyway, just for her, it's a lesson in long suffering. And there's a lot of things to celebrate in that moment, um, that past moment when we gave our lives to Jesus. If you're a Christian, you probably have that story that you can tell of how God began that process of changing your life. That that became the moment, right? Uh, of you know the BC, before Christ, and then after, and and all the things that began to change. And that kind of becomes the pivot moment of the, my life as it used to be, and then my life as it is now. And uh, maybe you have the story of sharing uh, the gospel with someone else, and that became their moment. Or maybe you were here in church, and you heard me or some, one of the other pastors share the gospel, and you um, either came forward or raised a hand or whatever you did, and that was your, your moment, right? But someone else was involved in you hearing the gospel and responding, unless you're like my oldest daughter, who decided to lead herself to Jesus, which is a different story altogether. Uh, my oldest daughter, Mia, really did lead herself to Jesus, uh, she was three years old, and she had this little kid's Bible that she would read all the time. And one day, we were reading the Bible as a family, and we start talking about, and I'm thinking, you know, I think she's old enough to understand, so I'm, I'm talking to her about um, inviting Jesus to come into her life, uh, to forgive her, to, to be her Savior, and, and, and so I'm like, Mia, do you want to pray and invite Jesus? And she's like, yeah, I already did that. And, and, and I'm like, well, when did that happen? She's like, oh, I did it by myself. Okay, uh, when did this happen? And she's like, well, one day I was in my room and I, I prayed to God myself. And I don't know why I say things that I do, um, but I just said, now, why would you go and do a thing like that? <laughs> um And Because I had always like, I had this dream that I would like lead my kids to Jesus. And she's like, no, I'm already there, dude. And uh, and, and, and I'm like, well, so then I'm like, I want you to tell me exactly what you prayed. Because my hope was to negate whatever she think happened on a technicality. And say, see, you said that wrong word. Didn't count. Anyway, so, which is probably the wrong thing to do. But um, this is the problem of growing up in a pastor's home. And so she's like, well, I just asked Jesus to come into my heart and forgive me because Jesus died on the cross. And I'm like, that's pretty good. And, uh, and so, and I'm like, well, Mia, first, that's wonderful. Second, I think you're the only person on earth who's ever led themselves to Jesus. And third, no more significant spiritual moments without mom or dad there. And we agreed. And then several years later, um, I was baptizing her two older cousins. And this is back when we met at the high school. I was baptizing them, and she's like, dad, let me in. To the baptistry. And I'm like, no, you're you're not ready. You're too young. I'm like, let's wait until you're eight. And then we'll baptize you. And you really understand what baptism is. Well, that night, Mia was in the bathtub. And she's leaning back in the water. And Carrie walks in and says, Mia, what are you doing? And she says, I'm baptizing myself. And Mia, and Carrie says, Mia, you cannot baptize yourself. She says, of course I can. Watch me. I, she just, and she went in, and uh, anyway, I mean, once again, I, 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 she's, I think she's going to officiate her own wedding at this point. Um, and, so, <laughs> and so, now, once again, for most of us, somebody else was there, but there is this past component to salvation where we are forgiven by Jesus, become part of God's family through Jesus, but there is a present and future aspect to salvation that we overlook. In, in the book of Philippians, which Paul wrote around the same time as, as uh, Ephesians, he said it this way in uh, Philippians 2. He said, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, uh, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Now people read that and I can't tell you how many times over the years people have said, what does that mean to work out your salvation? Does that mean I've got to work for it? That I've got to earn God's forgiveness? Uh, By the way, you can't earn forgiveness um, because if you earn forgiveness, that's restitution. Forgiveness is something that's freely given. I'm trying to earn God's love. You can't earn love. Love is freely given. But that's not what's being said at all. The idea is, Is that salvation is something that God has already worked into you through what Jesus has done for you? But now, how does that reality that is in you work out? How does that literally, that salvation that's in you, how does it work out in your life? When a person comes to know Jesus um, and has been forgiven by him, how does that person live? How does that person speak? How does that person do business? How does that person love their spouse? How does that person love their kids? That's what working it out means. It means that the longer that we know Jesus, we should be reflecting him more and better. You see, you become more gracious. You become wiser. You become less easily angered. You become more loving. That's what salvation is doing in the present. It's transforming you into a new person. And then there's this future tense of salvation. And this is where we look forward to an eternity with God and that everything that is wrong in the world is gonna be made right. In the book of Romans, which the Apostle Paul also wrote, this famous book of Romans, he said this uh, in Romans 13, he says, And do this knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us do what? Put on the armor of light. You see, that's what he's talking about. It means that we have this understanding that salvation in a future tense is that we have an understanding that this life isn't all that there is. That there is an eternity that we know is coming. Because if this life is all that there is, then you're gonna live your life a certain way to try to get everything that you can here, because you know that when it's over, that's all that there is. But when you don't believe that this is all that there is, there is a totally different way that you live. You see, the best way I know to describe it is, I don't know if you've ever been to Disney World with someone who only has a one-day pass. It's completely miserable. If you're in, how many of you are let's say, I, I have or have had a Disney annual pass? Okay. A bunch of you. All right. Very good. That, that is current or previous. All right. And if you're at home, you can raise your hand too. It's not weird. All right. And so now a few years ago, I was speaking at this really big conference in Orlando and we decided because I was speaking at the conference for two days that, um, after we could, uh, do a little family vacation. And so, um, you know, they were paying for the hotel and so we, we went up and it was awesome. And so, Um, A friend of mine who's also a pastor, and he was speaking at the event, he texts me, because I had mentioned that I was going to Disney World um, after I spoke. And so I spoke uh, one afternoon and the next morning, and I was done. And so um, he texts me uh, the next morning, and he says, are you at Magic Kingdom? And I said, yes. He says, well, hey, can we meet up for lunch? And so we end up meeting, and if you're familiar with uh, the Magic Kingdom, uh, are you familiar with a place called Cosmic Ray's? You familiar? Okay, you're familiar with Cosmic Rays. My wife hates Cosmic Rays, uh, just so you know. I don't particularly like it either. But somehow we always end up there because it is the worst designed restaurant in the world because there's a different line for everything. And I think that people thought it would be such a cool idea. Like, if you want chicken, you get in a line. And then if you want beef, you get in a line. And if you want venison, you get in a line. You know, there's a line for everything. So anyway, some people are like, what's venison? Anyway, all right. They don't make that in Cuba. And uh, so now... In my family, we have a hard time agreeing on anything when it comes to food. So everybody wants something different. So we end up in all these different lines. Well, my friend Travis, uh, who's a pastor, he shows up with his, his wife and his great kids. And, um, and we have a great time with them. And then after we're done eating, we're talking and I see them strategizing how they're going to ride everything before 11 p.m. And so I, I have this and I'm like, what time did you get here? And they said, we got here at 7 a.m. when the, the little, what's it called? What is it called? The, 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 the ribbon? Where, who's, where are my Disney people? What's that called? The, the, when the thing drops right at the beginning and then they open up the gate or whatever. What is it? Rope drop. Thank you. Five points for Gryffindor. Um, so anyway, uh, they do the rope drop at the beginning. They got there at 7 o'clock in the morning. We ate lunch at 1. They were like, how are we planning the next 10 hours? And, and I said, uh, and, and I'm like, you got here at 7 a.m.? And they're like, well, listen, we got one day. We got a one-day pass, and we are riding everything. And they're like, aren't you riding everything? I'm like, dude, we have the weekday pass, so we can go Monday through Friday, and we don't go on the weekends or over the summer, because that's when most people go, and I don't want that in my life. And I'm like, let me tell you, the Franquist family operates in a very different way, and that is... We do the three fast passes, we pick one other ride, and we have lunch, and peace out. And that's it. Oh, but I wanted to ride this. We'll catch it next time. Yeah, but I wanted to see that. We'll catch it next time. And, and that, that's it. MC, like, Disney for me is done at 3 p.m. Like, I'm not, we're not, I haven't seen a parade or fireworks, I mean, <laughs> since probably Clinton was president. Um, t- so it's been, it's been years. Why? Because this isn't the end for me. I have an eternity to attend to this kingdom, right? And listen, and here's the thing, but if you live your life like it's a one day pass, you will run over anything and use anyone to get the thing that you think you deserve, need, or want. If salvation has not invaded your future, you will spend your entire life trying to get everything you think you have to have because you believe that this is all that there is. And there's gonna be some fireworks and it's over. But see what salvation does. Salvation saves your future because it frees you of all that and it brings a peace and a joy and a contentment into your life that allows you to really live. And when you really understand salvation, I promise you it will change everything about how you view this life and the next. That's one. Here's two if you're a note taker. And that is that my application My understanding of salvation changes my view of everything. The second thing is, is that my application of salvation filters my thoughts. Once again, the helmet was worn to protect the head. And as you know, you can live without a whole bunch of body parts, but you cannot live, best I can tell, without a head. And that's why, listen, Satan attacks the mind, the thoughts. He tries to cloud your head with doubt and discouragement. Because here's the thing that he understands, and you understand it too. Maybe you've never thought about it, but you know it to be the case. That once something gets into your head, it's so hard to get out. Case in point, have you ever heard the song, Baby Shark? (laughs) Don't, listen, we are at a dangerous time right now in the service. If anyone sings Baby Shark, we will be singing that song until Christmas. And so it is, it is so dangerous. Every once in a while, my daughter Mia will come in and go doo-doo-doo, and I'm like, you know, no, don't do it, And she, because for whatever reason, she just can't get enough of Baby Shark. I don't even, I don't even understand. I don't get it. And, uh, but listen, if you listen to Baby Shark, that is a week of your life you're not getting back, because once it in, it ain't coming out. Now, think about that power, but now think about the hurtful things that people have said to you that now have that very same ability to get into your head and no matter what, they just won't come out. How about this? Maybe it's not even hurtful things that people have said to you. What if it's lies that you've told yourself? You know that we're excellent at lying to ourselves And somehow we have uh, lied to ourselves. There's things that we've told ourselves about ourselves that aren't even true. And once it gets in, it's so hard to get out. This is where the helmet of salvation is so vital for us as Christians is because it allows us to keep right thinking, to make right decisions and stay focused on right emotions. The apostle Paul would talk about this in, in talking about warfare. In 2 Corinthians, he would say it this way. He would say, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds, to demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I want you to think about that. What is, we are told to take every thought captive. That word captive literally in the Greek means to carry away into exile. The readers that would be reading that would have understood that. They were living in the Roman Empire. And the Jews who received the letter to the Romans uh, or, uh, in Corinth, the Jews who were living in Corinth, that they understood what was happening. That, they, they, that It would remind them of when Israel and Judah were carried away into captivity. They were removed from their natural habitat. Why? Because a new king had conquered And that is what Paul is saying we need to do with every thought that comes into our minds. We need to capture it, and we need to send it into captivity. Why? Because there's a new king in our lives. You see, just because you have a thought, this is so huge, just because you have a thought doesn't make that thought valid. Just because, and listen, we do this, we all know we're experts at building entire stories on things that people have said. Theories about why someone called or didn't call or why they called when they called or what they said in that voice message or what does that text actually mean? Well, they said, hello. Can you believe like, hello? Like, how, how did that even, like what, how, how do we ascribe a tone? Because that's what we do. Because we have this thought and we don't take the thought captive. We let, the, we, we let the, hey, you're in charge up there and you just run around and do whatever you want. Bring some other thoughts with you and it's, it'll be a party up here, like a crazy person party. Um, and that's the thing that happens. Sometimes, listen, you have to second guess the things you're thinking because they aren't right. And taking your thoughts captive, you know, taking your thoughts captive can actually save a relationship, can save a Friendship. Because sometimes, listen, our thoughts are incomplete at best, but we act on them like they're the gospel. Don't do that. Don't let your thoughts get out of hand without the facts, because sometimes what you think is, no, this is it, until that other fact comes along. And, and I, this is like the silliest illustration, but I, I think about it all the time. Uh, my son Xander, a couple, my son Xander uh, loves healthy foods. I mean, he drinks like, uh, like, you know, that green juice, super food. I mean, like that's pretty much what he has drank his entire childhood. Um, anyway, that's probably why the kid's never been sick in his life. And, um, but he loves, loves cucumbers and loves celery just by itself. Like what kind of a madman (laughs) just eats celery by itself. I mean, like and I've explained to people, my wife and I were having this conversation today. She's like, because we were talking about lettuce, and I'm like, uh, and my daughter was saying, like, I don't know if I really like lettuce. I'm like, Mia, no one likes lettuce. (laughs) Lettuce is a vehicle. (laughs) Lettuce is a vehicle for dressing. It's a vehicle. Just gives you a little bit of, of a cool taste as you're eating that bacon double cheeseburger with a giant onion ring on top. You put a little piece of lettuce. I'm like, oh, I got some veggies in. And so that's how that works. It also is a great justifier in our lives. So we feel better about ourselves. Anyway, so this is probably like three years ago. Xander is walking around the house, and he's just eating celery by itself because he likes just celery by itself. And um, I'm cutting some celery. And I'm like, Xander, why don't you come try this? I, so I, I opened up this package of ranch dressing that I had. And I'm like, he's like, what is that? I'm like, it's ranch dressing. Just dunk the celery in the ranch dressing. And now he's like, I don't know. I know, I'm fine. And I'm like, dude. He's like, I just like celery by itself. Listen to me, kid. (laughs) Dunk it. (laughs) And he dunks the ranch in the the, he dunks the celery in the ranch. He's like, dad, this is incredible. Did you just come up with this? And I'm like, kid, people have been having celery and ranch for like 5,000 years on this planet. But the, the whole time, right, the whole time, it's like, it just can't get any more real than this. This has to be the best. This has, no, other information showed up. A high fat dressing changed his world. And I'm telling you, If we let uninformed thoughts and incomplete thoughts control you, they will ruin you emotionally. They will ruin your relationships and they will destroy your future. So when negative emotions come into your head and you're like trying to, you know, you're like playing like CSI, you know, and you're like, ah, this means that. Like you've just got to realize like, no, I've got to take them captive. How? By employing Bible truths. Like, I got to remember that this, I can be sure, is true. Let let me give you one, Paul in Philippians, because we've been talking about him all night. So Paul says this in Philippians 4. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And if it doesn't fit that criteria then you're probably better off just throwing it out because you're gonna get yourself worked up over nothing. And you say, but what, but Pastor Bob, what if it's bad news? Bad bad news doesn't fall under this. It actually does because it says what's true. But let's just say the bad thing turns out to be true. Then you're gonna deal with it as the situation presents itself. So often, listen, the anxiety that we face, and I've told you this before, that like according to the University of Cincinnati, they did this study on worry and stress and anxiety, 91% of what we worry about, stress about, and are anxious about are things that either haven't happened, have already happened, or aren't going to happen. And so once again, we've got to decide that we're not going to play detective and figure out all the actions and attitudes and what did that mean? You know, instead, deal in reality. Yes, there are gonna be problems in life, but we multiply the problems when we try to deal with like the fake news in our head in addition to what's really happening. Okay, last one, then we're done. Number three, that my picture of salvation transforms my life. It transforms me. It transforms everything that I'm gonna do. I've been telling you this entire series that Paul's imagery... For the armor of God is from the Roman soldier that he was chained to. And that is true. But I've been holding off to tell you that there's this other thing too. That's not the only imagery that he's been uh, pulling from. There's this one other thing that I believe is such a powerful picture. And I've waited until now to share it with you. In the book of Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah is talking to the people. Isaiah is sharing the sins of the nation of Israel. Israel. And he's saying, look, there's no justice, there's no truth, there's no equity, and it's like people are walking around looking for light, but all they find is darkness. And then the scene changes in the same chapter, and God looks, and he doesn't see anyone who will do right or fight for what's right. And so what God then decides, this is around verse 15, 14 of Isaiah 59, is that God decides himself to fight and bring freedom to those who seek to be delivered and saved. And it's a picture that we have what theologians call in Isaiah 59, they call it the divine warrior. And here's how it describes him. God himself, it says, then the Lord sought and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him and his own righteousness It sustained him, for he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for his clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. And when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. You see, my friends, we call it, Paul calls it the armor of God. Not because it's all spiritual stuff. It's called the armor of God because it's God's armor. What he took on, the the armor that he himself took on when he wanted to save the people and when he had to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. You see, when we talk about being transformed and changed and becoming like Jesus, what he says, if you want to be like him, then dress like him. Say the things he'd say. Do the things that he'd do. Love the way that he'd love. Forgive the way that he'd forgive. And when you do that, you'll become more like him with each passing day. Listen, every one of us, right, we, we talk about wanting to change. We want things to be different. And we want to change because we don't want to act the way that we act anymore. We don't want to think that way anymore. We don't want those self-destructive habits anymore. And if that's the case, then put on God's armor. And know this, that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of God will raise a standard in our defense. And you know why he gives us armor to wear? Listen, we aren't wearing armor so we can be defeated. No, you're wearing armor so you can get into the battle, so he can lead you into victory in your life. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you for that very truth, that very promise that when the enemy comes in like a flood, that you will raise up a standard, a banner over us. That you want to do work in our lives. You want to fight battles in our lives. You want to see us be victorious in our lives. And God, we want to trust you, know you more, and be more like you. So help us even in that regard. And we pray it all in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen. 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 Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.